Welcome to the Thinking Biblically podcast, where we discuss topics related to culture and world events from a biblical perspective. Uh, I'm Jeff Norris, senior pastor here at Perimeter Church, and today we have the great privilege and joy of welcoming two guests with us that I can't wait for you to hear from. Uh, I want to introduce you to Dr. Crawford Loritz and Dr. Carl Ellis, both who are joining us via Zoom here in our a little podcast studio that we have here at the church. And so welcome men. I am so delighted uh, to have you with us uh, this day and for our listeners to hear from you in your wisdom. Let me, before you guys, uh, before we start our conversation, let me just tell you a little bit about these guys. Um, far too much on both of them to, to relay in the time that we have all of the various accomplishments that, um, they have accumulated and, and accomplished over the years. But uh, with with Crawford Loritz, Crawford has recently been someone in my life that I've been getting to know some, along with a few other pastors, and uh, but a long-time influence on my life as I have uh, read some of his books and listened to many of his sermons over the years. And so a uh, little bit of a surreal moment for me to even sit here with him and uh, and uh, just grateful for the work that God has done in and through him. He is the senior pastor at Fellowship Bible Church here in Atlanta. Um, he uh, is a graduate of Cairn University in, in Philadelphia and numerous honorary doctorates from places like Moody and Trinity and Columbia and so forth. Uh, but I know he probably doesn't want me to read all of those various things. He'd most want me to tell you about his wife, Karen. They've been married 49 years and have four children and 11 grandchildren. And uh, I know that, Crawford, you would say that's what you're uh, most thankful for, most proud of, uh, without a doubt, I would I would imagine. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Carl's with us as well, Dr. Carl Ellis. Uh, what a privilege to have you with us, brother. Um, I have, uh, again, long been influenced by by him and his uh, his leadership within the church. And uh, Carl has so many degrees that we would spend the rest of our podcast uh, reading those to you. But I'll just hit the the main three here. Hampton University is where he was. I uh, got his undergrad, his bachelor's, Westminster Theological Seminary for, is where he got his master's, and then Oxford is where he uh, received his doctorate. Uh, many, many years of ministry to the Lord in various contexts. Where he is currently serving is, uh, he is serving as a professor of theology and culture, culture at RTS here in Atlanta. And uh, But as I was talking with him before the podcast, what I can tell he is most excited about uh, is his work and his wife, Karen's work. Uh, both of these men are married to, to Karen's. And so Edmondson Center uh, is what he and his wife, Karen, are most excited about. It's the study of culture and theology, Bible and ethnicity through RTS. And uh, Carl, if you will, I, I, before we jump in, tell us a little bit about what y'all are doing there through the Edmondson Center. It's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, well, our overall uh, slogan, I guess you could say, is that we're developing tomorrow's lead. Uh, no, today's leaders for tomorrow's world. Uh, we're living in a in a time where there's increasing uh, hostility towards the body of Christ, and uh, and 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 what that's what's happening is that this is not odd. As a matter of fact, the fact that we haven't ha- had hostility up to this point is the anomaly. Mm. And so, in a very real sense, the American church or the church in the West is beginning to join in uh, with the, the church in most of the rest of the world. Uh, we're talking about 250 million uh, Christians who are under a lot of hostility. And so that's where we're headed. 
And we have to be prepared for that. And so uh, that's why we are pioneering uh, uh, the, the, the whole uh, area of study called perseverance studies. And so this, 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 this encompasses a lot. And uh, it's directly related to what's happening here here in this country, but at the same time, it's uh, it's transcendent, global yeah, throughout the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll mention this as well. Carl and and his Karen have been married nine years, two kids, one granddaughter, and uh, and then uh, he was sharing with me as well that. Uh, his mother, who is 93, and did you say about to turn 94? Is that right? About to turn 94, right. Yeah, is living with them. And so what a blessing that is as well. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll jump into some questions I have for you. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for the ways in which uh, you have done a tremendous work um, in them, certainly in me, and in, in the way of salvation, just your grace and your mercy in our lives. We give you praise. And we do thank you as well for, uh, by your sovereign leading, the ways in which you have given these men great education and wisdom, but most importantly, a heart for you, um, a deep passion for your glory, for your gospel, and for the beauty of the scriptures to shine through uh, in a way that would, uh, that would help others see and embrace the truths of your word and of your character, and of your glory. So, Father, would you bless our time together today? Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I mentioned this off the top, uh, that the name of this podcast is, uh, we've, we call it Thinking Biblically, and, and the whole idea is just to take some significant topics, things that are, um, are tremendously important and often talked about in our culture, and to anchor biblically in those things. How, how should we think about these things from a biblical standpoint, from a gospel-centered standpoint, and just simply as Christians? How are we to think that may be contrary, different, unique from the world around us and how the world is uh, approaching these various matters? And so we did our first podcast on Thinking Biblically last week, about a week and a half ago. And our, our main objective in that one was primarily to to begin to anchor biblically on the topic of of race and Christianity and race, God and race, race in America, um, and certainly that's a as we all well know that is being widely discussed and debated even uh, in our country even now. And so uh, we we went through a number of passages, but um, but I would love to hear from each of you. On this, on this question in this regard, meaning, uh, here's the question, how would you encourage our listeners to think biblically when it comes to a Christian perspective on race and ethnicity? Where would you, where would you point Christians on that front? You know, this is Crawford here. I, um, I, think, I think when you raise a question, there's, there's, there's a fundamental uh, threshold that believers have to, uh, followers of Christ have to uh, uh, embrace, and that is, we we have to stop using the Bible as a point of reference, and make the decision that it's going to be the context of our lives. And and, and so, what typically happens sometimes is that we'll 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 go back to verses of Scripture and this kind of thing, and then we'll drag them over to to apply to certain things. But I think we have to decide that um, uh, the Bible is the context of my life. Uh, I'm not going to integrate my politics into the scriptures. No, the Bible is the context of everything about me. Mm. So, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, somehow or another um, uh, erode that. And so I think 
first of all, that's a decision that needs to be made. Now, that, that sounds like it's, it's not very practical, but it is. Uh, and so you have to surrender to that, that piece. And so um, I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is not how we feel about situations in society and not how we feel about what's going on, but you have to ask yourself the question, okay, what does God say about what I'm experiencing, about where I am, and let the truth of God's word edit my perspective. Mm. That's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah, the, uh, uh, too often uh, what we do is we have our ideology or our philosophy, and it critiques the Bible. It should be the other way around. Right. Our, our Bible must critique even our theology, as good as it may be, uh, I, I always like to make the point that there is no theological system anywhere uh, that can account for all that the Bible teaches. If, if any theological system you put out there, something, some part of the Bible is going to stick out of it. Now, there is one theological system that does account for everything that the Bible teaches, and that's the Bible itself. Okay, <laughs> so 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 we, we we must always be careful. Uh, the the problem is that we we forget is that our theology is always contextual. It is determined by our context. It is determined by our situation because it arises because the church faces certain challenges. I mean, we wouldn't have the Nicene Creed unless the whole issue of the nature of Christ popped up. Uh, we wouldn't have the uh, uh, the fundamentals of the faith, uh, you know, it articulated that way uh, unless uh, the church is under attack at those points. Or we wouldn't have the five points of Calvinism unless the Armenians came up with their five points, which challenged uh, biblical authority, that kind of thing. So we have to recognize that, which means then that, well, I define theology as applying God's word in every area of life. So, which means that Every generation, every generation, we must be doing theology. It's theology is something that we do, not just something that we study. And so in that case, we must be biblical, biblically centered, and then we work out from there. I mean, there are ideologies out there that sound good, but, 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 but in too many cases, those ideologies have uh, assumptions and presuppositions that are directly anti-biblical. So we have to, we have to be biblically uh, centered. That's God's word, and that's the final, final. Um, that's the final, His word is the final authority. That's right. That's right. That's good. When you think about that, guys, and and you, and you think about specifically the gospel, right? And we hear this as Christians. We love the gospel. We 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 uh, we proclaim the gospel. We are we are charged by God. We are commissioned by Christ to um, to make disciples every nation. Um, and so sometimes what will happen is, is I'll hear in various conversations that I'm having um, that when it comes to quote-unquote social issues, um, what we as Christians need to do is we need to just preach the gospel and not get involved necessarily in social matters. Uh, because once we preach the gospel, then hearts are changed. And then when hearts are changed, realities are changed. Um, systems are changed, whatever it may be. And so that's the, uh, that's what we as a church are tasked with. We preach the gospel, right? Um, I'm curious to know, where would you, how, how would you give counsel on that approach? If you hear, if you were to hear someone say that to you, um, where would you agree? Where would you perhaps say, you know, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to think a little differently on 
how certainly, of course, we preach the gospel, but then how the gospel then applies to various quote-unquote social issues. What would you say? Uh, let me take a stab at, at that. Um, I generally agree with the principle that if we preach the gospel, um, these things would not really be a problem within the body of Christ, okay? Uh, I, I can't do a whole lot about what the world does, but we can do a lot about within the body of Christ. But here's the question. Do we preach the gospel? Is what we call the gospel really the gospel in its fullness? Are we preaching the whole counsel of God? That's what I wonder, because this whole idea that, oh, get people converted and everything and everything will change. Well, why didn't that seem to have much of an effect on the Jim Crow South? Or why didn't it have much of an effect on on the on the injustices that 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 happened in the north uh i'm not picking on the south here why didn't that uh make make all that much difference with uh some of the things that went on overseas so i would have to say it, it leads me to two possible conclusions one the gospel really isn't the power of god and the salvation the way we claim it is or two we have fallen short of preaching the the, the gospel in its fullness and of course because i believe the bible is the word of god I believe the second one. Now, let me say that uh, I've thought, uh, I, reading the Bible has given me kind of a, an understanding of how to test. There's a litmus paper test in the Bible to determine if what I'm preaching is really the gospel, uh, the full gospel in its fullness, okay? You know, we think of the gospel as the message of uh, going, you know, getting my, my passport to heaven, you know, going, uh, you know, not, not being... Uh, you know, not being condemned and all that. And that's part of it. That's that's certainly part of it. I agree with it. But in Luke 4, when Jesus goes and gives his initial um, sermon, if you want to call it, at, at his home synagogue, he, he reads Luke 4. He, he reads out of Isaiah 61. And I'm thinking that maybe that would, might be a good litmus paper test. Is what we preach, does, does what we preach do all those things? Is it really good news to the poor? Does it really release the captive? Does it, does it really give sight to the blind? Now, of course, there's a liter, literal and a figurative sense in, in all of that. Like, you know, but, uh, but, but does it really do that? And if it doesn't, then we need to examine the, uh, how true our gospel is uh, to the all-sufficiency of the word of God. And I, and I would suggest that in America, uh, I can't say about overseas and all, but in America, we have truncated the gospel a lot. Uh, and that's why it seems not to have had uh, as, uh, uh, as great a, an effect that it, that it had in the first century. I mean, you know, uh, like I said, we can't do much about the world out there. But within the body of Christ, these things should not be. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that we won't have problems. We have problems. Uh, the church can rise to the occasion and fix it. Like, for example, the, the, the widows being left out, the Greek widows being left out on the daily distribution of food. They innovated and they adapted and they, and they created the problem. And so that seems to me that uh, that's what we should shoot, shoot for. We'll never be perfect at it, obviously, but, but certainly that's where we need to uh, begin to do some thinking. Yeah, uh, and you know, the, the, yeah, I agree with just about everything, everything that Carl said here. Uh, Another piece to this, though, uh, Jeff, is, um, you know, it's a narrow it's a narrow understanding of what is preaching the gospel mean. 
I mean, uh, the, you know, we, we need to live the gospel. And uh, preaching the gospel does not mean that there's passive behavior, you know, that, that somehow or another you preach the gospel. And I believe the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place and for our sin, rose again on the third day. Uh, there's no other way to heaven but through him. And I think, and that is the means by and through which we transform our, he transforms our lives. Got it. However, there's a failure to live the gospel. And the, 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 just the pure proclamation of the gospel does not give rise to passive behavior. Just as sanctification does not mean passivity. It means that you deal with sin. You deal with issues in your life. Every epistle just about in the New Testament, these people trusted God, but they had a bunch of garbage in their lives. They had, they, they had a bunch of mess that they had to deal with. I mean, Amen. Paul's illustration about the you know, Hellenistic Jews. and I mean, there, there was, it was a royal mess. And see, so you have Paul under the leadership of the Holy Spirit grabbing these people by the lapels and say, hey, racism is wrong. He even corrects, he even corrects Peter in Galatians 2. And so there's a failure to live the gospel. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't hide behind the privatization of a message uh, and, and realize that the gospel should influence everything. I love J.D. Greer's book, Above All. The, you know, the gospel is above all. And so I think the call is uh, to understand comprehensively what does proclaiming the gospel mean? And Jesus did not bite his tongue with, with you know, we, we, the term social justice and the arguments about that. I, I tend to use, okay, you don't like, you don't like the term social justice. Let's, 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 let's talk about relational righteousness then. Okay. <laughs> it is the outworking of our right relationship to God and demonstrating in the context of human history, God's hatred for sin, but his solution for that sin, which is Jesus. And specifically he hates racism and speaking to that is not, is not in any way, in any way a violation of the core message of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, preach it, brother. Crawford, as you're sharing there, it reminds me a little bit of, as I was with you a few days ago, you said something that really struck me, um, and, I, and I tried to capture it in the notes of my phone, and I may have written it down wrong, so you correct me if I, if I did. I may have said it wrong, brother. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you said something to the effect of, the church should be the portrait to the culture Yes. of the desired destination that we long yeah. for. Is that, is that getting at what you, what you were saying there? And, and oh, expa yeah. expound I, on that, brother. I'd love to hear yeah. you share on that. Well, you know, no matter what your eschatology might be, uh, the church is, is, is to be the picture and a taste of, of, of the world in which we're headed. It's a portrait in human history. And so, and so God has placed us here as salt and light in the context of a fallen world. And we're to be the portrait of the desired destination at which all people should arrive. And so we have a prophetic presence in our world, whether we like it or not. You know, Jesus didn't say you're going to become the light of the world. He didn't say you're going to become salt. It's the verb to be is that you are. You are that. And so live up to that identity. And so you know, we get into, and I know that there's a question later on, you get into Ephesians chapter two, and I think when people preach and teach on reconciliation, they, they almost make an error, at least in my mind, and I, who am I to say this, but uh, you get to Ephesians two, and we preach reconciliation as something to be accomplished. 
No, it is an identity to be demonstrated mm. because he says you have been reconciled. And so the, 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 the point being is you need to model what you've been declared to be. Act like what has happened. The middle wall has been broken down. And that's not theoretical. By the way, there's no, there's no church in the New Testament that's not multi-ethnic. There's Amen. not one. Amen. There's not one. And so, so, they, so this wasn't some theoretical oneness that he was talking about. He was talking about living this stuff out in the context of human history. And so we need to take that noble vision of our identity and begin to aggressively model that which would make us, give us a holy impatience with regard to dealing with the sin of classism, racism, the disregard of people, any of that kind of thing. Why? Because the body of Christ needs to tell the truth about the glories of our redemption. Mm. Amen. Amen. I love that. Carl, any thoughts? So I, I, all I can just say is amen. Me too. Yeah. I love the way that you guys have explained that, that uh, it's, to get involved in these in these issues of race and injustice is not a lessening of the gospel. It's actually um, the fullness of the demonstration of the gospel to say God cares deeply about these things, and it's all throughout his word, and so we want to care deeply as well as the gospel propels us in that direction. Here, here's a question I want to have for you uh, that that is just diving into a little bit of just the current culture that we're in and things that are being discussed and, and, um, and thrown out there. Um, we have the Black Lives Matter organization, the official organization. One of the things that we addressed in our podcast last week is we, we said very clearly we are not aligning with nor supporting the Black Lives Matter organization. The official organization is that they in that they stand for many things that we would not align with biblically and in our theology and convictions. Uh, however, I said we um, we absolutely affirm wholeheartedly the statement that Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter to God. Black Lives Matter to His Church, and therefore they matter. They matter to us. Um, and. But I want to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear any wise counsel you would give to to Christians on how to support and fight for black lives uh, while not necessarily supporting or aligning with the those anti-biblical stances of the official Black Lives Matter uh, organization. Any any words of wisdom, counsel, and advice that you guys would have on that front? I would essentially affirm what, what you said was the stance of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, one of, the, my, one of my problems with Black Lives Matter, the organization, it follows a pattern that we have today of naming things <clears throat> that uh, heighten people's aspirations and yearnings and desires to make things right. They name them with these kind of words, but the reality behind it is just the opposite. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> like... Um, one of the things, you know, I read their 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 website. One of the things they want to do, they want to abolish the nuclear nuclear family. Oh, come on, give me a break! Uh, you know, so they want to enshrine dysfunctionality, as it were. I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not uh, putting down kids who are born in dysfunctional families. All of us, you know, in one sense of the of the other, come from dysfunctional families. But I'm talking about very dysfunctional. And uh, yes, the, the the Black Lives Matter is a truth, and uh, and I think a lot of times people 
will counter that. I've heard a lot of critics say, yeah, well, all lives matter. Well, of course, all lives matter. But in the context in that we're speaking, you know, because uh, there is this perception that uh, black lives are marginalized. And we've seen it over the years. We've seen it over the years. Uh, a black person gets killed by something and nobody says much about it, but a white person. Like for example, during the civil rights movement, uh, uh, there were blacks who were being killed uh, involved in the civil rights movement, but if a white person was killed in that cause, then it was a big fuss about it. Yeah. Now, I, I, I agree with all lives, you know what I'm saying? And I agree with all the all, all lives matter, but just kind of the way we do things in this country, I think and it's, and it's not an American problem, it's a general human problem in that uh, in, in, in this and other societies that are multicultural uh, or multi-ethnic or whatever, there uh, tends to emerge a dominant group and a subdominant group, okay? And so the dominant group is it tends to be the central group. So that's the group that seems to matter more than others. And I think that's what the, the cry that Black Lives Matter is a cry of, of wanting to see uh, wanting to see uh, the significance of those in the subdominant group uh, recognized on the same level. Of course, BLM, the organization, is working, uh, is, is using all the wrong methods and all the wrong ideologies to uh, accomplish that. We in the church, if we were doing what Crawford said, people would understand what Black Lives Matter mean if they looked at the body of Christ, if we were functioning. And that's, that's where we have fallen down. We have not... Uh, God calls us to disciple the nations, and uh, one of the ways to disciple the nations is to demonstrate uh, what the kingdom of God is all about. If you want to put it in protest language, the best protest is not to participate with the world system the way it is, but to live contrary to it. Hmm. Absolutely. You know, uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little ornery in the sense that I... I, I sort of rebel against them hijacking the language, Carl. You know what I mean? Just I agree. I, I, agree. I rebel against that. I, you know, the, the expression Black Lives Matter is a beautiful statement. And uh, I reject, I'm, I'm repulsed by what the organization stands for. And, you know, and all, all of those terms of Marxism that's embedded in it and, and all of that, this, the, the codifying and the acceptance of sinful behavior and all of that stuff. But I, I don't I think we need to be careful that we don't we don't allow their definition to contaminate something that is right. Absolutely. And we, and that, we should model the real thing. That's right. That's right. And I think as Christians, we, we're notorious for that. Just because the world will take our language and rebrand it, then we, you know, we stick our tail between our legs and say, oh no, 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 you can't say that anymore because it represents a Marxist kind of thing and this kind of thing. We need uh, to take it back. We need to take it back, exactly. And and black lives do matter. And what what is meant by that is that, you know, historically we have been viewed as not being worth as much, that we were right. worth less from right. chattel slavery all the way through Jim Crow and all of these things. And, so our lives are not as valuable. And so right. what we're saying when we say black lives matter, we're saying all lives matter, really, That's because right. black lives matter, too. That's right. It's kind of like, you know, and this is a terrible illustration, but it's, it's sort of like your child is dead. Your little girl or little boy, let's say little girl is dead and, and you're standing up at the microphone at the memorial service and you're giving a eulogy about your child that 
your child died. And, and then somebody grabs a microphone from, from you and says, uh, well, all, all children's lives matter. Yeah. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's right. That is utterly ridiculous. You're not saying that the rest don't matter. No matter. That's right. Yeah. We're saying that the one that's hurt, the one that's gone matters. Yes. And so I, 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 I think that we need to be really careful that we do not get backdoored into drawing lines and making enemies of people who should be our allies in this conversation. Amen. And, Amen. Uh, and we all bear the dignity of the image of God that's stamped on our souls. And we should defend anybody who's, who's that dignity that's being affronted and being uh, attacked. We stand up for them. Right. Asian, Hispanic, white folks, black folks, whatever it is, and say, no, that's, that's my brother by creation, maybe not by salvation, right. and created in the image of God, and his or her life matters. Mm. Right. Mm. Right. Amen. Amen. Carl, on this topic, you have a blog called Prophets of Culture, and uh, back in 2016, you actually almost exactly Four years ago, on July 16th of 2016, you did a, a post called Reflections on Black Lives, where you, you spoke to this very issue, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I essentially said the same thing that we were just discussing right here. And I was, because uh, a lot of people, uh, our house has functioned. You've heard of La Brie, you know, in Switzerland? Yeah. <laughs> well, our house has been functioning like Labrie for the last few years. I mean, people from all over the world come and they, they got these questions and we help them wrestle through things. Anyway, we've got a ch- bunch of folks coming in asking this very same question. What do we do? What do we do? So I figured, well, let's let me write something that would that would that would answer the question. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, Black Lives Matter is the truth. I make a distinction between capital BLM capital B, capital B, you know, L, and small BLM. The capital is the organization. The small letters is the truth. Uh, and again, it goes back to this pattern. I mean, you know, if I was to say, say that, if I was to ask the average American, how would you like to live in a democratic people's republic? Everybody would say, yeah, that's great. So then you bring up the democratic people's republic of Korea, namely North Korea is, you know, <laughs> that name <laughs> totally is, 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 uh, is, is, made, is falsified by the reality of what it is. And that, and that, that's a, that's a thing that we, that we do today. I think Christians should not, and I agree with Crawford, we should not tuck our tail between our legs and, and retreat. Every time the enemy tries to take something, we we should not yield it because if we keep doing that, we keep retreating. We're going to be ending, we're going to end up in a small little enclave somewhere, and uh, well, we need to fight the battles. I mean, uh, the Lord says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us, and some of us think of, of us as being in a fortress, and the world is attacking us. No, it's the, the other way around. We should be attacking the fortress. We should be on the offensive. Amen. And, uh, Amen. and so uh, mm. anyway. Well, Carl, you've you've written a lot of great stuff on your blog here. I would encourage you, those of you who are listening, if you if you Google prophets of culture, uh, you'll see Carl's blog come up there, and then you can click on it. And he has many many posts that would prove helpful uh, in in these conversations that we're having. And and uh, the subtitle to the blog I love is called "Cultural Analysis from a Theological Perspective." So um, it, these are these are wonderful insights that Carl's given us here. Uh, on these important matters. Um, I want to ask one more question, and then I want you, I'd love for you guys to share uh, just even some personal stories. But with the, uh, 
the very what has become the very politically charged and emotionally charged phrase continually debated of systemic racism uh, how would you encourage christians to think about what has been termed systemic racism um again words of wisdom advice biblical perspective does the bible give us direction here um on that on that phrase on that topic would love to hear your thoughts on that paul says something very clear in romans he says um do not be conformed to this world or and I like the way that Philip says it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Now, what is Paul referring to? He's talking about when he talks about the world here, he's talking about the world system. And the problem with the world system is that it is permeated with sin. So the world system is systemic sin. Okay, yes. just plain and simple. And racism is sin. And so, yes, there is such a thing as systemic racism, okay? I, I don't, there's no argument I have against that. My problem, though, with today's discussion of systemic racism is that people think that systemic racism is the root cause of all evil in the world. They make it more than it should be, you know? It's like uh, they think that uh, if we can only get rid of systemic racism, then we'll be in paradise. I mean, that's the, that seems to be the mentality. And uh, so, yes, it does exist, but it is not uh, the only problem we have. It is not the only manifestation of sin that's there. Yes. Yes. And uh, so we as the church, then, we should uh, be, you know, I have a problem with Christians who are bought into the ideology that says, you know, they've become anti-racist. Anti and yes, am I anti-racist? Of course I'm anti-racist, but I am not uh, one of those guys who says that that is the only problem. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so, um, and so, uh, again, here's another example of the enemy taking over a concept, mm -hmm. uh, that is biblical and then making it into something that it does not. So yeah, racism is a terrible sin. It is, it is systemic, uh, and it is personal and it, it permeates everything. And, uh, and so we as Christians, then we should live lives and say things and proclaim things contrary to the world system. And of course, part of that is systemic racism. And then we should, uh, um, you know, we are not in favor of it. We do not conform to it. Again, we need to model what this is all about. And we, unfortunately, we've been, I think the uh, church in America has fallen into cultural captivity. Yeah. And having fallen into cultural captivity, and that's different from engage, engaging the culture. We need to engage the culture, but we, we must not fall into captivity to the culture. And when we do fall into captivity, then we become subject to cultural sin. And I think that's the that's the uh, that's that's why Paul is warning us not to be conformed to the world yeah. system. Yeah. I could not agree with you more, Carl. I, I you know I guess people might might think we're having a little love fest here, but I <laughs> I just. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really agree. You know, to me, it, uh, systems are contaminated by fallen people. All right. It, it's, it, if you believe, it, it, to me, this sounds, it, it may sound very simple, but if you believe in the doctrine of total depravity, if you believe in the doctrine of total depravity, then you, you, you will believe in systemic racism. That's right. Because, I mean, you know, racism is nothing more than a sin of partiality with pigmentation. And if you and, and you know, and our behavior. So. So, you know, and I, and I think the other thing uh, Carl said that really triggered a thought in my mind is that, you know, 
we got to be careful that our, our guilt doesn't drive us to deny reality. Amen. You know, sometimes we feel defensive and guilty about these things. You hear systemic racism. No, no, that can't be true. This is America. Everybody has opportunity. And, you know, you just just work hard and you just do your best and this kind of thing and you'll move forward. There's no such thing as that. And you can get up. And so, but, you know, rather than pausing and saying, OK, let's look at our set of assumptions. Let's look at, you know, am I biased in these decisions? Are these policies? And so, yeah, it exists. But. I'm with Carl on this. It's not the only sin that is systemic. It's not the only issue. And this is where the power of the gospel, but denying it does not deliver us from it. You, you, you got to face it and, and, and say, yeah, this is part of our fallen condition. Yeah. Again, this gets back to the church, right? It gets back to the reason why the church models the destination. The church people, the world should look at the church and say, okay, this is... This is a correction to systemic racism. See how these people love one another, how they honor one another, how they treat one another preferentially, how they build into one another. So, yeah. Mm, so good. Carl, I felt like you were about to say something else there. That I don't want to well, cut you off. It was just, you know, you know, yes, I agree with everything that Crawford said, but, uh, but the thing is that one of the problems with the ideologies today is that <laughs> Is that one of the things that all the non-Christian ideologies seem to have in common? I'm not going to say this is the only thing. But one of the one of the things they all have in common is uh, is a denial of uh, total depravity. <laughs> you know, they they set up these things expecting people to do the right thing. You know, so you're in Cuba, you got Batista, you overthrow him, we get rid of him, and we put Castro in. Now everything's going to be all right, but then Castro turns out to be a, a thug. You know. Yes. Um, and uh, now, the, my, one of the problems I have with a lot of critical race theory is that they seem to understand total depravity when it comes to white folks. You know, white folks are not only totally depraved, but they're irredeemable. And the best mm -hmm. thing they can do is is to is to is to perpetually do penance mm -hmm. by being pawns. Right, right. Um, uh, but what they don't understand, yeah, yeah, I believe that white folks are totally depraved, and so am I. Yeah. <laughs> so is everybody else, you know what I'm saying? Exactly so, right. so we, you know, it's like we, the problem is they, they think they, they think that white folks are totally depraved, but non-white folks are maybe partially, but we're all, all that. And that's the, that's the thing that's missing. And these people, when they, if they get their revolution as they want, okay, let's say that there is, a, let's say that it, it does actually happen. They're going to rue the day when they wanted to tear down the existing system because the, the new system is going to be worse. The only yeah. kind of revolution that's going to work successfully is when the focus is on the post-revolutionary reality. Mm -hmm. and that is precisely what the kingdom of God is all about. Amen. Our focus Amen. is on the coming kingdom. Amen. And therefore, we do not participate in the sinful structures of, of, of this world. It's not that we're Amen. otherworldly. We, we engage the culture. We, we are a force for good and all the rest of that. But... But we uh, we do that in order to point people to the uh, the coming reality and to glorify God, and that seems to me the the, the call that God is has out. Amen. 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 It uh, reminds me that uh, I think Jesus taught us to pray in that direction. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on Amen. earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Well, guys, here's how I'd love to wrap up with you. Um, you know, one of the things that has been most um, you just impactful for me is to sit and and listen and have develop relationships and have conversations uh, with people of color uh, throughout 
all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, not just black Americans, but, you know, uh, Jimmy Kim, who I'm looking at right now here in the studio, Jimmy's our director of redemptive unity and just sitting with him as a, as an Asian American and, and hearing how his experience has, how his experience has been in America has been enlightening. Uh, the things, the insights, the perspectives, the experiences that he's had have helped me understand things that, uh, that I just, I just didn't know. Right. And I didn't understand. And, um, and the, the Lord has worked tremendously in my heart through those relationships and through those stories. And, um, and so I'd love to just hear any, any personal stories that you have that, uh, as a person of color in America, th- that you would say, Hey, this would be something that, uh, I've experienced perhaps, um, consistently, or just at least more than once that has, has been difficult for me that, uh, that particularly for, uh, for, white listeners in particular that would go, wow, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that I was, was aware to the extent that I need to be and recognizing to the extent that I need to recognize um, what it's like for someone in America um, who isn't of a, of a minority culture. Any, any stories or thoughts you would have on that? Let, let, let me, let me, let me share this with you. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I had a deep longing for God. I really wanted to know God deeply. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, but I would hear people refer to a certain swath of, of the American South as the Bible belt. Okay. And, but at the same time, I knew that that's where all the lynchings and all the rest of that was, you know, were taking place. And of course I would hear Elijah Muhammad say Christianity is a white man's religion. And so therefore I, obviously associated the Bible with racism and all the rest of that. Okay. All right. That's, so that was the first setup that was bad. Okay. And so I developed a very, very strong uh, hatred, I guess I'd say uh, towards whites and all that. Okay. Now, long story short, I got saved. Jesus met me on the road to, on the road to the mosque. Okay. Let's just put it straight out. I was on the the way to becoming a Muslim. All right. Jesus met me. And he knocked that mess out of my heart. I mean, just absolutely, just boom, you know. And so I thought, well, this is the answer to it all. So then uh, the next year I went to college. I went to college in the South. I went to uh, what we would call an HBCU, Historically Black College or University. And um, I, I, I began to ask around, what is a good Bible-believing church in this area? What is a good Bible? I'd like to go to a good Bible-believing church. I didn't care if it was white, red, grizzly, or gray, whatever. I just wanted to go to a good Bible-believing church. And this one church kept coming up. This one church kept coming up. And finally, I had enough transport, and I had transportation capabilities, and I did go to that church. And I, I, they let me in on Sunday morning. The preacher didn't finish the sermon. He says, come back Sunday, you know, tonight, I'll finish the sermon. So I came back. And as I approached the church that night, I, there, was, there was about 200 men standing in front of the church. And somebody said, there he is. And they all surrounded me. And they absolutely refused to let me in. And uh, it's funny because I heard the pastor that morning say, you know, Jesus Christ breaks down all barriers and all the rest of that, you know. And so I said, well, didn't, doesn't the gospel break all this stuff down? He said, and then I said, I want to speak to the pastor. So they brought the pastor out. He said, yeah, but people got to learn how to live together in the streets first. And so this angry, this this group of about 100, 200 men were getting angrier and angrier. And for the first time in my life, I I, I really thought I was going to be lynched. I really, I really thought, I mean, I actually feared for my life. 
And I ran back to my car, jumped in and started it. And I just I just stormed out of there. I almost hit some people because I didn't care. I was I just wanted to save my own life. And uh, and it was just baked. This is raw racism. And that as strong a Christian as I was, I was leader of my Christian group and all the rest of that. As strong a Christian as I was, that incident knocked me into agnosticism for about six months. I almost left the faith uh, behind that. That was traumatic. It took God's God had to do some real uh, healing in my heart to me, help me to understand, oh, look, he did this for me. Why didn't he do this for these other people? You know, so anyway, that was for me. I'll never forget that. And, um, wow. and, I, and I've known a number of other young men who had similar experiences who, who haven't returned to the faith since. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Carl, I never heard that story before, man. Oh, man, that was a rough one. You know, was, oh. I tell you, yeah, I was... Uh, I was, I was missing an action for, for, for at least six. I months. can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. You know, the dehumanization of all of this and, uh, if people fail to realize that, um, you know, African-Americans, we, we all, we all go through it. Uh, we raise our kids understand. I mean, when they're little, we said, somebody's going to call you the N word. And so when they call you the N word, remember, it's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. And uh, and helping them with their with their dignity, um, you know. I shared this experience, uh, Jeff, when we were together uh, uh, last week, and maybe I'll, maybe it bears repeating here. Um, in in nineteen, I think it was ninety six, seven ninety six. I had bought a new car and uh, dropped my son off at at school. Our youngest son, he was in high school. We lived on the south side of town at that time. And uh, they were having some construction on the road and the guy way in the back, uh, it was a temporary stop sign, way in the back of the line, got impatient and whipped out. And, I, and he just gunned his, uh, his Jeep Grand Cherokee. I'll never forget it. And, uh, and I was turning at the same time and he slammed into me. And uh, if he had, oh, you know, eight or nine inches further back, I'd be in glory right now. Well, as soon as I get out of the car, the guy happened to be white. As soon as I get out of the car, he's, he starts calling me all of these uh, N-words and black SOBs and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking real quickly, you know, the airbags have gone off and this kind of thing. I'm saying, this guy almost killed me. And he's calling me these names. And, uh, and just to be completely transparent with you, um, I was moving toward him and not to have a word of prayer either. So, uh, <laughs> this woman put her hand on my shoulder and said, sir, you're not to go over there. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I just, uh, snapped back into reality. Well, when my wife picked me up, came and she saw the record, she saw the records there towing the car. She looked at the car and just, uh, I mean, she just burst into tears. It was a miracle that I was, I, I was, uh, alive, let alone got out of the car. And I'll never forget what I said to her as soon as I got in the car. I said, sweetheart, you know, um, no matter what, what I've done and what I've accomplished or this kind of thing, in the minds of white folks, I'm just another, and I use the N-word. I'm just, that's all I am, and that's all I'll ever hope to be. But you know what God did to me? When I said that, several minutes later, the Spirit of God brought back to my mind, dear friends of mine, who happened to be white. And I remember just thinking, you know, Dennis Rainey wouldn't have called me that. Josh McDowell wouldn't have called me that. Tim Cash wouldn't have called me that. And I went down the, li the, li the list. 
And what calibrated my thinking was that I was in relationship with these brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the love of the Lord Jesus and the common bond that we have together that, that God used that to recalibrate my thinking, to pull my heart and my head back. And so the lesson that comes out of all of this is that, you know, you can't love from a distance. We need to love up close and personally with one another. And, and once you get to know people's lives and you pray with them and you, you live life together and you share together, it does something to you. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that's the place where it all starts. And, and I could share other stories, but uh, that, was a, that was a significant thing. And the, I'm glad the Holy Spirit did that for me, reminded me. He pulled me back from the edge that day. Mm, that's so good, guys. You know, you said there at the end, Crawford, um, the, you're glad that the Holy Spirit did that. And, and mm-hmm. I'm just thinking on in this moment um, the work of the Spirit in all of our lives, right? Yes. And, and the, the role of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives as we do begin to engage more and more with relationships in the church with brothers and sisters across all kinds of uh, lines, whether they be racial or socioeconomic or whatever they may be, the work that the Spirit begins to do within us Amen. is profound. And, um, and that's what we long for. We long for Him to do what only He can do. Uh, that's something we say around here often. Uh, we we talk a lot about this phrase, radical dependence. Oh, Lord, you do what only you can do. We want to be radically dependent on you. And when it comes to anything in our lives as followers of Christ, um, that's what we long for. God, you do it. You do what only you can do. Bring the revival that we long for. Bring the the gospel in all of its fullness to bear among us. Bring your kingdom among us. And Holy Spirit, you've got to do it because we'll mess it up. <laughs> but you won't. The Holy Spirit will not mess it up. So, uh, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedules to join me this morning uh, and to be such a blessing uh, to me and to our listeners. So uh, I feel like thank you is not sufficient enough, but just just know my heart and of gratitude for both of you and for your wisdom and your hearts for the Lord. So um, any final thoughts from either of you? Just thanks for the opportunity, man. It's always good to be with you, but always good also to be with Carl. Amen. Amen. Likewise, <laughs> likewise Jeff. Uh, it's good to meet you, man. It was, you know, yeah. hope to meet you in person. Sometime. I was about to say, yeah. because of because of uh, COVID, uh, we had to do this. COVID, yeah. That's right. We had to do this via via Zoom rather than in person. Yeah. So I look forward to, to seeing you in person, hopefully very, very soon. To all of you listening, we are grateful that you tuned in and um, we're grateful for the work that God is doing in your heart and in your life as well. And so we'll come back uh, in a future week soon uh, with a part three to this Thinking Biblically podcast. But until then, God bless you and may the Lord Jesus reign in your life for his glory. 